In this episode, I talk with Keaton Lycom, founder and president of You Don't Fight Alone, a nonprofit organization dedicated to mental health awareness. Welcome to episode 9 of 5 Questions, the show where we talk to activists and advocates about the work they do and why they do it. An important note before we begin this episode, there is some very open and honest conversation about serious mental health issues. And if you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts of suicide, reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or go to their website to find information. This number is for the U.S., so if you are in another country, I encourage you to find your nation's number and keep it with you and look for available resources. So Keaton, can you tell me a little bit about who you are and a little bit about your backstory? Sure. So my name is Keaton Lycom, 31-year-old male who lives in Colorado. And what I do is I work in IT, but I also run a nonprofit about mental health awareness. My backstory is fraught with challenges, but a little over a decade ago, I woke up in the ICU by my own hand. And that's when I learned my family had a history of mental illness, which didn't make sense to me. So over the past decade, I've been thinking on a way to do it. And over the last two years, I've been running a 501c3 nonprofit, producing podcasts, and we're working on a physical product right now as well. So can you tell me a little bit about what you do in mental health awareness? Absolutely. The main area we currently work on is our podcast. And what it does is it gives people a platform to share their story of living successfully with mental illness and how they got there. Success as defined by them and their story is defined by them. Because we've realized the best way to break down stigma that we can find is to just actually talk about it, to talk about mental health, to talk about the challenges of whatever your diagnosis is. That's where we interview people, they share their story, And besides the intro and the outro, it's them talking because we don't need to inform their story. They can do that. We've had some decent success and I've had people come up and told us it's changed their life, which is deeply humbling (laughs) because, yes, that was the goal, but actually having it achieve its goal. So that's the podcast area. The other area we do is we're working on You Don't Fight Alone kits. We want to deliver them to inpatient facilities upon discharge. And they're just a toolkit with tools for self-soothing, distraction, mindfulness to help out when you're in crisis. Um, And when you get discharged from acute care in the U.S., it can be very unnerving and unsettling. You had a very structured couple of days or week or month. Very structured set of time. And now you're out on your own again. So we hope to provide those tools for crisis, to provide those tools to explain, to help inform people that like they have choices and they have things they can turn to other than having to go back to the hospital or having to go back to care, which if that's what's needed, we don't want to discourage it. Um, but we want to provide something in between. 
So those you don't fight alone kits, those would be the physical products you hinted at earlier? That is correct. So could you elaborate on what those products are, what might be included in that? Absolutely. Um, so our You Don't Fret Alone kit, we've decided on what is in it, actually at our last board meeting. And set of coloring pencils, uh, a You Don't Fret Alone Mandala coloring book, um, a soft tactile item, hard tactile item, a candle, a sticker, and a card kind of explaining why those items are there and what else you could add, but also explaining that there are items to help you. So asking yourself the question of what what do I need when I'm in crisis? What helps ground me? What helps get me out of there? Um, and so going back a little bit, the coloring book and coloring pencils, it's a very mindful activity to sit and think about what color do I want to put on this page? And hopefully it can help break a cycle of thoughts that are out of control or spinning out. Or just even when you're dealing with depression, sitting and being mindful of where you're at instead of thinking about the future of the past. So where did the idea for these kits come from? Sure. So the idea for these kits came from one of the classes I took while I was in therapy. I went through seven and a half years of therapy. And one of the classes I took was building EBT coping kits. And I'd never heard of it before. I was like, okay, sure, whatever. This might matter. What? I'll try it. Brought it home, forgot about it. Got an email from the job I'm still at today. But for an invite for an HR meeting in the morning, and it was like 5.30 at night. And so I was spinning out thinking I was going to get fired. Came home, spinning out, thinking, well, since I'm going to get fired, killing myself is the right answer. And I remembered I had a kit. I was like, well, I'll go pull it off the shelf. All the while thinking, this is BS. It's not going to help. And lo and behold, like I didn't spin out into a full-blown crisis. I actually went to the meeting the next day. I can't even tell you what the meeting was about. And I didn't get fired. Like I said, I'm still there. So between learning about them in counseling, in therapy, and then seeing the success that I had, it was something I wanted to expose people to much earlier than years into the process. And as well, I guess we want to deliver them to people discharging from inpatient, but our goal is to make them free of cost to anybody who requests one. And yeah, because I think anybody can benefit from having a set of tools to help you when you have distorted thinking, whether you have a diagnosis or not, whether you've been hospitalized or not. But yeah, that's the idea came from learning of them in counseling and it being so effective the first time I used it. I was like, yeah, I actually want to do those. And since then I've talked to fair number of professionals in the mental health space and they're on board. So it's like, okay, thought it was a good idea. And these people think it's a good idea and they've got the training. Let's try to make it happen. Well, thank you for sharing all that information. So where did the idea of you don't fight alone come from and why do you choose to do and engage in this kind of mental health awareness in this way? Um, like I talked about a little bit in my background earlier, 
a little over a decade ago, I was in the hospital by my own hand and found out from my family that bipolar runs in our family. The kicker for me at that point was, wait a second, we've talked about heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, stroke, Parkinson's, talked about those, being wary of those. Bipolar slipped the slipped the family history. Um, and really, I would say, starting in that hospital bed and a couple months after, um, I just wanted to do something about that. I was like, I want it to be normal to talk about. I want it to be as normal as, hey, our family has a history of high blood pressure. Watch it. Um, so, yes, You Don't Fight Alone is two years old. I registered the Facebook page nine years ago. I have some conversations from about nine and a half years ago, <laughs> talking to friends. Um, was looking it up. I was like, how long has this been an idea? And it's been an idea for nine and a half years. And it came from my experience of not knowing anything about my family history and wishing I had. And trying to figure out how, how do we make it normal? How do we make it normal to talk about? And it's morphed a bit to how do we make it normal for people struggling to talk about? Um, because on the flip side, yeah, I didn't learn about it. That was my family history, but I also didn't talk to my family about anything I was going through because I thought that that would be judged. I thought that I was just, I wasn't man enough. So it's on me. It's not on my family to help, which that's, yeah, that's a broken thought, but that's where that was. But so some of the history engaging this way, um, like I was just saying, sharing stories sharing experience shared experience allows for an understanding of something you may never know um so on the podcast we recorded 20 guests bipolar ocd depression postpartum ptsd cptsd and even being in the space i'm learning a lot allowing that shared experience allows people to understand at least to begin to understand that we're not making it up because I hear that all the time <laughs> of, well, you're just making it up. You're making it up for attention. You're just trying to get something to work for you. And on the face of it, I can see how people might think that, but does anybody really want to not be able to get out of bed, not be able to shower, um, be physically unable to eat because you don't have the energy and when you outline things like that for people, they're like, wait, what? I didn't know that happens. It's like, yeah, no, that's that's part of me or that's part of my diagnosis. So engaging this way in the podcast, I think, is the best way I know how to share experience. And I believe shared experience is the way to break down stigma. Um, the you don't fight alone kits engaging that way in part because I don't want people to have to go through that. Well, they're going to they're going to go through that jarring discharge experience, but I want them to know they're not alone. Like aim of the nonprofit is you don't fight alone because it is a fight. 
being discharged and having a you don't fit alone kit um, with a bit of a note from me or from some of our volunteers just saying very basic level we hear you we see you we get you you're not alone um here's some resources like here's some podcasts you could listen to or also possibly plug in some resources as well but breaking down the stigma by sharing stories and surrounding people in care to let them know they're not alone because it's like i said it's a jarring experience to get discharged it is bleak and confusing um and especially when it's your first time the world's been turned upside down and you don't know you don't know what you don't know you don't know where to go you don't know who cares who doesn't and yeah and it's going from there so that's where the coping kits come in or the you don't fit alone kits come in is let's reach those people and tell them they're not alone because I wish I had known a decade ago that like I wasn't alone, that there's people who will talk about it. It took me about five years to get stable. And I don't know if it would have been different if I'd found a community of people struggling as well, going through the same battle, but maybe it would have, who knows? But if we can reach those people on their first discharge or second or third, I don't, however many times, but just letting them know there are a group of people out here who care. There are a group of people out here who are alongside you. There are a group of people out here who face similar battles. Nobody's an island unto himself. And even though it feels like it, so if we can actually demonstrate that they're not, that you're not an island under yourself, that there are people here, that there is a community. Um, yeah. I guess I got a little rambly there, but that's where that was coming from. Now, that was really good information to share. Now, can you talk about some of the difficulties you encounter in doing this and how do you work through those? I'll touch on a light difficulty first because it's just on my mind. And then go back to the heavier ones. But the interesting difficulty that I didn't expect going into any of this um, is just staying in federal and state compliance as a nonprofit. As somebody who's running a nonprofit day to day, I wear many hats. And there's this or that application and this or that update or this or that amendment that needs to be filed. Um, I do have them thankfully scheduled in my calendar. But even when I get to the calendar date, I have to remind myself, which usually means probably about half an hour of reading of what is it that I'm doing? So that's kind of a lighter difficulty. Uh, how do I deal with it? I've built a set of mentors around me who I can ask questions to, who are in the business space, who are just willing to walk it through. And yeah, so building that community has helped there. And this is why I touched on it first. So building the community has helped with that light one, right? Of staying in compliance with the 501c3, staying in compliance with the state. But also that community is supportive and around because of you don't fight alone. And so when there are difficulties, um, 
it's heavy interviewing people about their worst moments and their best sitting in the interviewer's chair in my producer's studio. I've been to tears more times than I know. I've only done 20, but still, um, and there's been twice. Yeah. Twice that just broke down <laughs> while interviewing somebody which I guess it means like I'm not numb, which was a concern of mine going in is I was like, I don't want to numb myself to it because it's still real. It's even though I might hear 10, 20, 30 stories that are very similar, they're still real stories. They still happen to real people and they're still full of pain and joy in most cases. Um, but you get to hear about the pain and like that saying about compliments, it takes 10 compliments to get over one insult. But when you hear about the pain all the time, it can feel like you need 10 good things to counteract the bad. But being surrounded by community who I can talk to, um, including my producer and including like the people that I'm interviewing. So we do a debrief after every show. Um, which is huge. The mics go off and we just talk. Sometimes the guest needs to leave. And so we talk for like a minute or two. Other times I think we've talked for a couple hours and that's another way of dealing with it. So community, um, the debrief and being present in where whatever it is, being present in the pain, being present in the happiness, being present in what is going on. Um, because I'd be full of crap if I sat there and interviewed somebody and then at the end of it, I couldn't tell you a thing about them. And I've watched people do that, like those style of interviews where they're like just checking boxes. Um, and that never really interested me. So I wanted to wanted to be real. I wanted to be present and wanted to do it in community. Because, well, again, uh, one of my board members, she reminds me of this all the time. She's like, the names you don't fight alone, Keaton. So stop doing it alone. Because I will find myself moving it along in ways. And she's like, no, ask for help. Like that's <laughs> you have a board. The names you don't fight alone. Use the board. Let us help you ask for help. And yeah, so being, so I guess to summarize, being in community, being present in the moment, being real. And then like the last one, being vulnerable about my needs as well. I'm not a robot. Can't sit across the table hearing these stories and not be affected. Um, I've had people come up to me and I don't have great answers for them, but like when they've had friends commit suicide and they come up to talk and realistically, I guess those, those do come back too. it's like community being present, being real and being vulnerable, being present, real and vulnerable in those times and those spaces. Um, and those have happened because of running. You don't fit alone. And I'm, I'm glad that they came to talk to me. I'm glad that they talked to someone. 
and I'm humbled that that's me. Um, but yeah, it, it can like it can get heavy. It does get heavy, but I th- think those four make it real, make it doable, and then also realizing that like this is part of the human experience, and being real and vulnerable provides so much fulfillment. Like it's fulfilling to actually have real conversations with people. It's fulfilling to actually be vulnerable with people and tell them X, Y, Z is going on. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Like reaching out to my board. Um, It's a couple months ago now, but there was something that I was struggling with and I reached out to my board um, I was just like, I, I need help getting this done, struggling to get it done. Can you help? Can they help in any way? And, uh, one of the board members just stepped in and did it, which at that time was extremely helpful. It was just, yeah. Cause going back to that compliance thing, those do get overwhelming. Like it sounds light, but it gets overwhelming to, did I file X form correctly with X department. Thankfully, they're not trying to trip you up. So the sites are fairly good about telling you what they are. But like I said, because I don't do it every day, all day, every day, I have to read. And I'm a slow reader, so it takes me probably around half an hour each time. Um, but yeah, looping background. Said it a couple times, but being present, being real, being vulnerable, um, and being in community, that's how it, how I deal with, and I would say it's healthily, it's how I healthily deal with the stresses of running a nonprofit and running a nonprofit in the mental health advocacy, or not mental health advocacy, but like mental health awareness space. Yeah, I think if any of those fall away, it'd be a lot harder. That's all the questions I have for you. Um, I wanted to say that I have struggled with my own issues and I know how difficult it can be to be honest and vulnerable. So I appreciate you being so willing to talk about these issues and so open on or in this interview. Um, Did you have any closing thoughts you would like to share at this time? I think the only closing thought I have, and it's one of the four things we just talked about, but I'd encourage everybody to be present where they are. That helps. In so many ways, you can, yeah, I could go on about the counseling benefits, but yeah, I encourage people being present where they are when they're there. Um, Because I think we struggle to do that a lot. And it's been going back for as long as we've documented it, because, yeah, we have cell phones now, but um, you can look back and everybody on the subway was reading a newspaper Um, or, and I'm not saying reading a newspaper or cell phone on the subway is a bad thing, but when you go out to dinner, put your phone away when you're home with your friends or significant other, what have you put the phone on the table, um, set a timer, say, I can't pick my phone up for 20 minutes or whatever. I just want to encourage everyone to be present and yeah, be present 
because I think the others flow from that. I think, yeah, that's my closing thought. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing it. Um, where can our listeners find your podcast and where they can, where can they find more information about You Don't Fight Alone? Um, you can find our podcast on any platform where you find your podcasts by searching for You Don't Fight Alone. And you can find more information about us with Facebook at You Don't Fight Alone or our website at YDFA.org. Great. And that's it for this episode. You can find me on Twitter at MikeyBiz and tweet about the show. If you have a particular cause or activist that you would like to hear from, let me know. A postscript for you all. I have uploaded the trailer for You Don't Fight Alone. It's a wonderful show that is having really great conversations and I recommend you checking it out. Thank you.